Welcome to the Deeply Rooted Parent Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Lamborn, an outdoor educator known for inspiring parents to find connections once again with their children. Join me as I have stimulating conversations with experts in their fields, all with a dash of nature connection. Are you ready to feel revitalized, recommitted, and to regain a sense of love for your children? If so, then grab a seat around the campfire and let's explore together. This is going to be a solo podcast, and we're going to talk about going back to school and control. (laughs) If you've been around my podcasts for long enough, you know that I am a very, very large proponent of giving children as much power and empowerment as we can, that I think it is right up there with food and safety and shelter. I think for a child to feel as though they have ownership of part of their life, and can make informed decisions within that life is going to be very, very beneficial for their cognitive growth. And then also their social emotional growth because who doesn't want to feel as though they have control over their life? I think <laughs> I think that's a lot of issues right now with adults where we don't feel like we have any control over our lives. And so we, we like a, num- uh, a numbing effect of Netflix and you know, extra sweets and, and whatever your vice is for, for numbing out. <clears throat> and so to set children up in that that way of giving them a toolkit to be able to feel empowered and, and know about their day in a way that they're going to make healthy and correct choices for themselves, I think is a big thing. And so I've just gotten through teaching and being a part of eight weeks of summer camps for Earth Path. Um, which is a nature school here in Ottawa. And each camp had 36 kids. And the last camp I, I offered that the children who are attending, who were older, seven to, to 14, they could speak about their worries and their concerns about going back to COVID school, (laughs) which is really what they're viewing it as, right? The gone is going, the idea of going back to school is kind of gone for them. It's now COVID school. It is a place of uncertainty, of instability, of not feeling as though they are going to be able to do their best because at any point in time, they could be switched to online school, um, that their friend groups might all of a sudden change, that sicknesses might ram rampant. So these are, these are the the times that these children are going to school in and some parents I was speaking to, they were noticing excess behaviors in their children that weren't present the week before. And so I thought about it and I was like, Oh, well that makes perfect sense. Cause next week for the French Catholic board here in Ottawa, they're going back to school. Um, and that was last week. So they're going back to school tomorrow. Um, in a lot of cases. And then the the English board goes back the next week. And so these children are going from a camp environment. Let's say that maybe they, they spent some time at the, the camps in, in summer at various different places. Maybe they went to the cottage. Maybe they had lots of beach days. Maybe they didn't go anywhere except for your house and maybe on some walks, maybe some bike rides or some sleepovers. And then that's all changing. 
and it's changing against their will. Some children love school. That is a very rare event because as we know with COVID and online schooling, school does not support children in the way that it should. It's a very narrow box where some children are flourishing and other children are confused and left behind and feel stupid and feel as though they're not good enough and are having pretty intense challenges with it. And parents got to see just how their child interacted with the course material. And I think that was a big wake up call for the education system. It's not working the way that they have been carrying forth their their pedagogy and the way that they explain information, all that isn't working. But that's a whole other podcast. I don't want to get too, too much into that. But more in terms of giving a viewpoint of how children might be feeling. And I think this is important because sometimes when we don't have the right viewpoint, we can have frustration and anger, and that can lead out to not the best interactions with our children that, you know, will leave us with shame and guilt at the end of the day, repairing to do, and a day that could have been totally different. And sometimes that perspective can help. And so I'm here to help with some perspective giving. So let's take an average kid. Let's take me. Let's, 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 (laughs) let's analyze myself growing up. I did not like school. I did not have fun in school. I really struggled. Um, The first day of school really meant that I felt like I was going to (laughs) have like diarrhea the whole day and also vomit on myself. It was not a fun time in any way. Um, It meant high anxiety. It meant going back into a place where I didn't feel like I was smart. I didn't feel as though... I excelled in any way particular. I felt it was very difficult. Um, So if you took me from summer, this place of freedom and biking around and Pokemon cards, um, I'm 32, 33 this year. So I'm kind of speaking on my generation of Tamagotchis and Neopets and MSN and all, all that stuff. If you are around my age, you know what I'm talking about. And that was taken away and instead we went to walmart we bought school supplies trying to make it as fun as could have been i appreciate my mom really trying with that but at the end of the day (laughs) that meant school and that was a that wasn't that wasn't a choice of mine that was something that because of society i had to go to Um, In school, that meant that I then had to wake up at a certain time in the morning, that I should eat breakfast, that I should conduct myself in morning behaviors that will be beneficial, so brushing my teeth and um, drinking some water. If I did all that, I could watch some TV, which was really really great. Popular Mechanics for Kids, for those who know, PMK, shout out. Greatly appreciate you. And then went to school where I was told to go to different classes, told to sit in different areas of the classroom, told what books to read, what to write, and then what to do at recess, um, where to go, because you want to appeal to your friend group. 
And, you know, if anxiety, the source of anxiety is alarm, you don't want to not be with your friend group, right? So you're going to probably submit to the group well a little bit easier um, and put yourself second because you want to have some time in these 15, 20 minutes that you have for recess and you went back to class and then you did your class work. Then you had lunch, same thing as recess, told when to eat. And then you have afternoon and you were told to come um, back home. And so maybe you would go home and you would have homework to do. So you would do the homework and then it's dinner time. And then because it's a school night, right? School night, that sentence, you couldn't stay up for very long. You couldn't stay up and watch your shows with, with your adults as much as you used to. So that was gone. The freedom was gone. And so what these children are now in realizing or are on the precipice of realizing is that their lives are now going to go from a lot of freedom, a lot of yes zone, to structure that they didn't agree to have. And that comes with a lot of anxiety and alarm because what happens is through attachment theory at least, what happens is that if they don't do something right in the morning, if they don't do something right during the day or in the evening, potentially a call to parents will happen or parents will be upset. So that's layer one of separation. The children, the base of children, all they want to do is be close to their primary caregivers. Children are very sad that way. It's a, it's a pretty sad thing to think about that we take these children from us and put them in all different areas because we want to give them the world. But the core, they just, they just want to be with the people that they, they love the most, that they feel most connected to and have that sense of safety. And so, so say something happens and you know, children, you know, your children, you know, that belly tightening that happens when a teacher is walking towards you and you know, you're going to have feedback that your child has done something first day there's going to be feedback and they'll know that. And there's going to be a sense of separation. They did something to separate you from them, especially if there was words exchanged in an unpleasant way between you and them, that's further separation. Now, another layer of separation is between the student and the teacher. Now, hopefully if you have good teachers, which make the incredible, incredible difference, what happens is that there won't be any separation, that the teacher will be mature enough to not yell at the child, use collaborative problem solving and figuring out what is the best way. And so that sense of alarm between a child and a teacher should never happen because the teacher should be able to hold their own. But we are in a school system where one teacher is grossly overworked, grossly outnumbered, and can't prevent that that frustration and burnout from happening. And I think it happens pretty early from the teachers I've talked to. And for those people who have been in school or around children, you know that some certain, like some children behave differently than the other ones and they do make it more difficult. An easy way to do this if you're a teacher is the child that makes your classroom easier when they are sick is the one that needs the most help. The child that when you look at your attendance and you breathe a sigh of relief, 
that that child's not there, that's the one that you should really be focusing on because something's happening there that this child needs assistance. They need love. They need kindness. They need support because if they continuously do something that is causing separation from you and you bring that back to their parents, that's two levels of separation. And so their anxiousness is going to be very, very high. And then <laughs> let's go up a notch. Third level of separation, separation from peers. Oh my goodness, that is a hard one. Your peer group is everything. Less so when you're little, if we're talking preschoolers, a lot of that's parallel play instead of direct friendship, where you just slide up beside someone and be like, sup, you have good blocks. I have some color blocks. Do you want to join? And you just play for ephemeral moment, and then you break off, and that's all good. And then that becomes a little bit more intense, where that friendship and best friends get started. And then you get to the, the higher levels, where that peer group is more important than their primary caregivers, because your child is developing a sense of themselves and they're going to be looking at their peer group to really mirror and reflect what they want to be and what they want to see in themselves and that is going to be independent from the parents and often in rebellion to the parents if the parents are too strong with their own ideologies but as much as that attraction is wonderful that these children have to each other and these bondings that happen there's also a sense of potential separation. If I do something wrong, then I can be separated. Perfect example is of a podcast coming up on uh, a beautiful, beautiful book uh, called Being You, the body image book for boys. And it was really apparent that the boys wanted to physically connect. They want to show love through physical affection, but they couldn't do that because if they did that, that could be sensed as a source of like weirdness, especially with boys. And so what they do is they put their arm around each other and punch each other's shoulders or all this like macho bullshit, really. Um, instead of just being like, hey, can I have a hug? I really missed you over the summer. And, you know, Boys don't do that. I wish they did. That'd be pretty great. And But they don't want to do anything that separates them. I have a whole book on girl bullying, and part of that is that girls know this like instinctively. And because they are more socially, emotionally developed than boys at any given age, until the brains are about the same maturity, you know, separation is awful ostracizing someone is awful getting them away from the group is awful and what's the most heartbreaking thing for a parent i don't have any friends you know that sense of children who aren't neurotypically developed like i've talked to moms who dread their child's birthday because they are terrified that no one will show up the sense of separation is so incredibly awful. And so children know this. 
they know that there's a sense of separation that potentially could be happening if they go back to school and they don't fit within the school boundaries in the box that the school puts. And so with that, then we move to a whole fourth tier and that's social media. The separation doesn't stop. Much like cyberbullying, it doesn't stop. And so children can be separated in person, but also online. And so that idea of connection stops and that divide grows. And when the divide grows, despair sinks in. Not feeling empowered sinks in. And so what children are going from is this beautiful, and they might not be cognitive of this, but if they have been in school before, they all know that this potentially could happen, is that this beautiful summertime that is filled with yes zones are now having this blanket of structure put on them. And even if they do do extracurriculars outside of school, maybe they're doing guitar or flute or soccer or whatever you want to do, there is a sense that, okay, I chose this, but if I don't keep choosing it, I'm going to let people down. I'm going to let my coach down, sense of separation. I'm going to let my parents down, sense of separation. I'm going to let my peers and my group down, sense of separation. <clears throat> so this whole other layer of structure happens. And then on top of that, all this sense of alarm is going to happen. And for the little kids, you can see this, especially at camp, that in the morning, if there is some type of argument between the parent and the child, the end of the day, the child will make mention of it. They'll say, I wonder if they're still angry at me. Because they were holding that sense of separation the whole day, worried that when they see you as their primary caregiver, their primary attachment, if they don't get well received, that's not going to go well for their heart. And we'll, we'll come back to this, but I do have a very big plea, a very big heart plea for those parents who pick up their children or their grandparents or whoever picks up your children. Now, what can this come about as? Well, big feelings. <laughs> now, big feelings is a word or a phrase that I'm not particularly fond of. Um, it's kind of a, a catchment term where what we should really be doing is that your child's not having big feelings. They're having very specific feelings at a high level. And if we want to have conscious communication from us to the child and the child to us, we need to give them empowering language. They have to know how to describe what they are feeling. You're not feeling big feelings. You're feeling angry and sadness and, and irritation and um, like depression in some cases. The more that we give children the ability to name their emotions, the more we can help them. And so this well of emotions can happen this alarm can come and you know when we are alarmed going back to school for a second if we are in four tiers of alarm alarm from parents alarm from teacher alarm from peers and alarm from social media from our peers do you think we're going to be able to focus if we're so hyped up on our alarm if your stomach is so tight can you do a lot of things? As a, a person in the workforce, if you have a presentation to do at one o'clock and you are not well at presenting, you don't like facilitating, are you able to do anything in the morning? 
I have facilitated and talked so much through workshops and all these things. I don't really mind that now. But before, it's like, no, the, the days are right off. And so what we're asking children to do with these senses of separation are then to be like, okay, well, um, good luck doing all this school. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we, we ask our children to do a lot. And interestingly, interestingly, as rates of anxiety increase, rates of ADHD increase. And what happens when you have high anxiety in your body, it manifests itself as ADHD symptoms, which whole other podcast, but very interesting thing to think about. Um, that if children are, you know, a little more carefree during the summer <coughs> or moments when they don't have school and then all of a sudden in school, they can't focus and they're struggling, you know, how's their alarm doing? Do they like their teacher? Are they, are they flourishing in their school? Is there something not happening in that space that's creating them to flourish? And so what can these behaviors come out as they can have like anger? Anger is a big one. Frustration, unwillingness to do anything, lack of focus, sleep issues. Cause how can you sleep when you have a conveyor belt of worries in your head? Um, defiance, avoidance, all of the things that as parents, we get very frustrated about, which, you know, they come from a child doesn't do anything without a reason. And I think we forget that. I think sometimes we think that they act a certain way to get back at us or like children are underdeveloped. Their brains are not developed. And that's why I love working with them that you're working with incomplete beings and you can help complete them by giving them certain amounts of information and tools in their toolkit. And so a child is never purposely mean. There's always a reason why. And our jobs as parents, mentors, and educators is to find that why, figure out what was that antecedent that caused that behavior, and in between the antecedent and that behavior, put those practices that help them reduce the level of intensity in their body. Now I'm totally getting off traffic topic because I'm talking about children and this is what happens. I get very passionate, but what we need to do. Oh, and the big one with this is that if your child starts asking, can I sleep in your room? Interesting. They're looking for connection with you. They're looking for a space of, being close with you because they know that you're, they're not going to see you that often now because they're going back to school. Things are going to be changing. And up to you. But you know what? Maybe they need some sleep. Maybe they need to have a sweater that smells like you. Maybe you read some stories and use that as a white noise machine instead of a white noise machine. You know, maybe put some pictures of you and, and, the child in their bedroom close to where they're sleeping. So when they go to sleep, they can see those. Um, it's interesting when a child has nightmares, you know, those demons that are like potentially killing them in their brain, they're, and you go down to your bedroom with the child, you know, those demons could come down that hallway and still kill that child in their brain, but they don't because it was nothing about the demons. It was nothing about the clowns. It was never about the momos. It was never about the its or anything like that. 
it was that the brain had those images in their head and the brain absolutely hates nameless fears. And what was coming up was this sense of, I don't know, I don't know what is happening in my body, but there's this weird alarm system in my heart and my stomach and my brain that is saying that I should be alarmed. And where the actual root cause is that I was missing my parents, my brain, not knowing that, is going to be like, okay, what was, what was like scary that we experienced recently? Oh, it was a trailer that we watched. Okay, well, let's put that in a room and that makes sense for my brain. Monsters disappear in the parents' presence. That's why you can check the room. You can turn on the light. You can leave night lights and all that. But if your child's having chronic sleep issues because things are in their rooms, maybe have them sleep or close, like sleep more into the, the hallway. Maybe sleep in your room on the floor. Maybe co-sleep for a little bit. There's always a reason that children do something. And so if these behaviors are coming up at this time, can't guarantee you, but the correlation in my brain is pretty strong that they are going back to school and their lives are changing. And so what can we do for these little beings? (laughs) Just give them control. Give them power. Empower them as much as they can be. Give them choices. Not too many not too few, you know your child. Usually two works well. But the more choices that they have, the more ability that they can feel and learn about themselves to feel strong in control of a system that they're being put in that they don't have a lot of control in is going to help them. And when you feel confident and powerful in yourself, you don't need to act out. You don't need to have frustration, right? Part of having anxiety and having no way of coping with it, no tools, is just like frustration. It's like, why am I feeling this way? This is so, like, I hate feeling this way. And frustration easily breaks into anger. And then, oh, my parents yelling at me again. Hmm. And now I have more separation, which leads to more frustration and anger. And so the cyclic pattern comes, but giving a sense of control so that the child can know that they have the power to control parts of their day, can give them the encouragement and strength to move into life in a really solid way, knowing that they're going to do things that aren't always going to be fun, not always in their control, but not all of that is taken away from them. So easy things. What's in, let them pack their own lunch. Not in a, you pack your own lunch. I'm tired of packing it and you're not eating. But let them choose what's in their lunch kit. You know, teach them about healthy choices. You know, a child's more willing to eat their lunch than... If you like, if if they pack it, then if you pack it, because they put they have stock in the game, right? They put effort forth, and you know I've in my line of work being a nature mentor, I have had children with clay on their clothing, and having the children be so terrified, actually scared, like to tears, that their parents were going to yell at them that they got dirty when they were signed up for a nature camp that promotes being dirty. 
So children, really take in what you say and what you do. It's really important to have this moment of empowerment for their lunch and be like, well, you packed it. Um, let's see what you can eat of it. And, you know, if that doesn't work well, maybe not eating, not having a sandwich doesn't really work for you. Maybe like the soup that we packed wasn't a good choice. Maybe you want a sandwich today. So letting them have that power. Letting them choose what they want for breakfast instead of like, eat this, you know? As long as they are making some healthy choices for themselves, we can give children a lot more freedom than we do. We don't have to micromanage them. Um, you know, how they want to arrange their bag. Sometimes we arrange their bag because we want to be most efficient for them, but maybe they want <laughs> like their raincoat at the base of their jacket, at the base of their backpack and their lunch on top, and it's raining out. You know, let them, you know. Um, maybe allow them to figure out what they want for dinner so that their food choice at the end of the day isn't taken care of from them, isn't taken from them. Um, maybe have a negotiation of when they should go to bed. Maybe there would be a rotating schedule, and maybe on Friday they get to stay up later. Anything that you can do to really help them. Maybe there's a game night during the week and they get to choose the game. So anything that you can do to empower a child to have a sense of ownership of their own life is going to help them as they transition into the school year and throughout the school year. So I hope this helps. And yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to hit send me a, an Instagram DM. I'll be happy to, to, to chat with you.